Well, thank you. And those were my students over there. Who can follow something like that? But really, that's the reason that we're celebrating this evening. It's the resurrection of our Lord and the reason why we gather together. And every time that the body gathers together, it ought to be a celebration for the things that we are looking forward to in anticipation of seeing Jesus face to face. And as we say goodbye to 1983 and hello to 1984, there are a lot of things that we are facing. What did I say? 80? I'm stuck in the 80s. Joe, come on up. No, I'm just kidding. 93 and 94. There are a lot of things that we are approaching. First, the inevitable, which is not good news, but yet we have tremendous hope in what God has given us as we approach things that are not easy to approach. We know that the Bible says that as the time of his return comes, as it gets closer and closer, things will become worse. But God has left us with a tremendous empowering of his Holy Spirit to be able to face the things that we cannot understand. I can read the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, and see the things that they, they both say. And they're not pretty things. They are things that shake you, things that may be confusing. But yet God has given us a hope in his son Jesus Christ to be able to face those things not only on a daily basis, but week to week and month to month. And really the reason we celebrate is because as the minutes tick away, it draws us that much closer to the return of the Lord, which is the second thing, the eminent thing. The Bible declares that we are to be waiting for Jesus every second. We ought to live our lives in such a way that when he returns, he finds us busy about his business. One of the institutions that is being attacked by the minute almost, it seems, is the family. And yet it is one of the most powerful institutions that exist on the face of the earth. It is the first of the social institutions that God ever created. Way back in Genesis, it's recorded, when he brought Adam and Eve together there in marriage, he created the family. And the marriage is the foundation of the family. And that's what I want to encourage you tonight. To look to the scriptures for the encouragement that we can find in our roots, in what God has given us in that institution of the family. It is being attacked by our government, by our educational system, by our world that doesn't understand what God has given us and is being ripped apart. Yet we have been given something that no one can take from us because it's been given to us from by God himself. And that is the institution that can reflect the glory of God to a lost and dying world and establish and maintain a standard that is higher than anything you can possibly find anywhere. You have an opportunity to bring your family together in 1994 in ways that you never have been before. As you look back to the creator of that institution and allow him by calling on him to bring into your families reconciliation, restoration, healing. At the foundation of that reconciliation is forgiveness, a very important element. You and I who know Christ personally, we know him on that foundation of reconciliation of forgiveness. He extended forgiveness to us when he was crucified 
and we received it, we were reconciled back to him. He, a perfect God, a sinless God, took the steps to reconcile us back to himself. So we can gather together as Christian families and present to the world the standard that can come from no place else but from the church. If you read through history, in times when the church has waned and has moved into the darkness, into the shadows, that society has fallen and given way to all kinds of strange philosophies. But when the church is strong, then there is a light in the darkness. And it will not be quenched. It will not be put out. God himself is the one that sustains it. We'll keep it going. And that's what we need in the United States. We need the institution of the family to shine brightly to all the world of what God has given us. And we will be proclaiming what God has given us and giving him back the glory. So for those of you who live in homes where you are, in a sense, divided, partially Christian and partially not, you Christian, I exhort you, live in such a way that you can be the example to your unsaved parents or an unsaved spouse. Be the example, be the sanctifying agent that God has made you to live in that situation. And let the love of the Lord pour out through you that you might draw that person to the Lord in humility but tremendous love. And families that have been torn apart by all kinds of philosophies, look back to this book because it establishes for us what is true. And the Bible said that the truth will set us free. In Matthew chapter 7, there's a story about two men who build a house. One builds it on the foundation of Jesus. The other one builds it on sand. Actually, it says stone. And the other one builds it on sand. And when the storms of life descend and they beat on the house, it says that the one that was built on the sand was destroyed and great was its destruction. But the one that was built on the rock, it stood solid and firm. And then Jesus goes on to declare the difference between the foolish man and the wise man, and it hinges on obedience. For it was the one who did the will of the Father that was established. And God's will for us as a Christian family is not to be independent. That's the message that the world has given us. Independence at all costs. But God wants us to be interdependent, as Chip mentioned a while ago. The Holy Spirit has given us tremendous gifts, but it's for the mutual edification of the body of Christ, and so it is with the family. Fathers, husbands, you have a tremendous ob obligation, responsibility, and privilege to be the head of that home. But you can only do it under the empowering and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let him be your guide. Let him empower you. And wives, together with your husbands, together with your husbands, you can lead your children to a point of knowing Christ personally and then live out all that the, that the Lord has for us as a Christian family for a dark world. This next year, we will be faced with some things that might become law that will rip away your privileges as parents. And I say, let's not have a revolution. Let's have a counter-revolution. And let's let the Lord empower us with the, with the weapons that he has for us, the might of the Holy Spirit as we are obedient to him. Lord bless you. Thank you, Richard.
Every year when the dispersed Jews were scattered across the face of the earth, they would conclude their Passover Seder by saying, next year in Jerusalem. And let that be our watchword tonight, uh, next year in the new Jerusalem. Won't that be a happy day? Let me lay a foundation of what I want to share because we've come to the inreach portion of the mission statement now by saying that I am just a, a full Romans 8 believer. That is, the grace of God came into my life and transformed me and is transforming me. And that attitude, I think, is reflected in the Calvary Chapel philosophy. People come here on Sunday mornings and often at the information booth they ask, how do we join this church? We have a very simple answer, show up and serve. And that takes some people by surprise, but really that's the philosophy. If you know anything about the foundation of the, the movement, you know that as touching money and attendance and serving, you don't beat God's sheep. Um, we don't take an offering. We let you give freely, and, and so you do. And God is blessed magnificently as a result of your faithfulness. And likewise, attendance, we don't keep track. It would be a little tough anyhow, but um, God has poured out a blessing that we really are trying to contain. And then as touching serving, which is my focus here tonight, I may have a little bit of an, an edge on what I'm going to say uh, because I think the times are such that it justifies it. Uh, as you look through the seven churches that Jesus spoke to uh, in the first chapters of Revelation, you notice that he took a very hard line upon the wealthiest of all the churches. And we must accept the fact that the American church in 1994 is without question the wealthiest church that has ever existed. And we must be careful not to squander that wealth. And so what I have to say about our service jointly and yours personally, uh, please take with the covering of grace to it. I'm also kind of a hardliner on service because I was a hardliner for sin before I was saved. I wasn't just a lukewarm sinner. I was a zealous sinner. Um, I'm not proud of it, but the fact is, when the bars closed at 2 o'clock uh, at our campus, uh, the nearby state, they closed at 4, and we often closed them down there. And so I was, I was very uh, minutely uh, fastidious in making sure that I was careful about sinning to the full, to the maximum. So once Christ came into my life in, in a glorious way, I have tried to transform that zeal to his work, not for the sake of works or of earning or of even putting up rewards, but because I figure it's the very least I can do. I certainly served Satan faithfully uh, those 24 years. And for whatever God gives me left, I want to be sure, to the best of my ability and resources, that I serve God equally or more zealously. In the book of Romans, Paul writes that we should know the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night, he says, is far spent, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly before our God. And so we have opportunities lying before us in the coming year. But first, let's reflect upon this is the grace and the glory of God here at Calvary in 1993. And I want to just touch base on a couple of ministries you may or may not be aware of, but throughout the week, 
the ministry of this church and multimedia activities reaches probably in excess of 100,000 people worldwide. Uh, we have radio stations from Hawaii to Washington, D.C. The tape ministry sends out literally tens of thousands of tapes annually that go from Ghana to the Philippines to Hawaii and, and around the globe. Uh, likewise, we are moving into television tomorrow evening starting at 9 o'clock here locally. And just the, the wonderful opportunities God has given in fulfilling the promise when Jesus said, Greater things you will do than I did. He has given us avenues and resources to reach more people than his ministry ever did during his time here on earth. And so the opportunity for volunteers to serve in the Calvary Connection is one that's wide open. You've heard me speak on Sunday mornings about the YDDC, the Youth Diagnostics Facility Center over on Edith. Opportunity to go in 60 minutes of your time. And I'll say this with myself in mind, uh, just over a quarter of NFL football time, you could pour out your life into the teenage life of a kid who maybe hasn't had a home for four or five years and, and radically affect a young life. And the opportunity over there is just precious to my heart. As you go through those cottages and you look at those kids, there's a hardness in their eyes, but you can see right through it because underneath it, they're just kids. And they're scared and they're lonely and they're afraid. And to have somebody go over for 60 minutes or two hours a week and just say, hey, we care, let's shoot some hoop, play some cards, watch some TV together, is an unspeakable gift that we each have in our own power to do. And so I would say in a body this size, it's a mystery why those cottages aren't completely filled up with volunteers. I would say it's a mystery why we can't just absolutely overwhelm those kids uh, with our love. I thank God for the fruit we've seen in 1994, but I do throw down a challenge to each one of us that we commit ourselves to filling up every life over at YDDC in 1994. God has opened up a, that gate of grace for us to jump through, and I suggest that we do so. Likewise, tonight there are missions, uh, groups going around the world in, uh, in Hungary. We have uh, outreaches in Uganda. We have outreaches in the Philippines, helping start Calvary chapels in the former Soviet Union. Uh, things are happening worldwide. And that opportunity also lies before you. Uh, Chris Armijo oversees our school of ministry and our shepherd school. Uh, 20 to 50 young men and women going through and really being rooted and grounded in the word of God. Perhaps in 1994, in the fall semester, that might be something you might want to pray about. You say, oh no, not me. I told God anything but missions because I just hate termites or I just can't handle the heat. Well, it might be for you. Uh, be open to what God wants to do. And then finally... Let's reflect upon what God did at the Harvest Crusade this fall. Over 2,000 people coming forward and making a commitment at one level or another uh, to walk right with Jesus Christ. And we had over 1,000 volunteers from the entire community, in fact, the entire state, reaching out and touching tens of thousands of, of lives here in Albuquerque. And the challenge is here for that personal evangelism to go on again. It didn't end when Greg Laurie left town. Uh, we have the opportunity day by day to be personal evangelists and to lay down our lives and to pour out the life of Jesus Christ through those people who need him so desperately. So I would close by saying to you what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is only your reasonable service. It's kind of like having a three-year-old help you in the kitchen. That's probably how it is for God. You know, like the companionship, great to have you out here, but the honey on the walls and the cat's got jam in its tail, it's just kind of a mess. And 
it's only our reasonable service, a manifest token of our love for him. And certainly he is more than able to accomplish what he has begun in our midst. What a privilege to take part in that. I, again, challenge you to consider whether you want to be in the parking ministry. We're going to be breaking ground in a few weeks on a new expansion going forward with more seats here in the sanctuary, 12 more classrooms, an expanded bookstore. We'll need a lot more help in the children's area. We'll need more help in a lot of different ushering capacities in the coming year. And so just search your heart and out of grace, see what God would have you do in 1994 for his kingdom and for his glory. Would you please welcome now from Nashville, Out of the Gray. Man, how you guys doing? Isn't this great, Out of the Gray? Realize I'm one of their biggest fans and didn't even know it, man. I listened to the radio, listened to their songs, and like, yeah, that's a good tune, man. They started playing some of those songs tonight. I want to share a little bit with you from God's Word um, and to share a word of encouragement with you um, as you go, as we all go, rather, into the, uh, into the new year. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, just want to briefly share it with you a little bit. Um, Several years ago, about 10 years ago, actually, I remember going through a very traumatic time in my walk with the Lord. And the Christian walk is always something that's evolving to something greater. But it doesn't always appear to be that way. And I was going through one of those times where it was, didn't appear that you know, things were going my way. I was frustrated. I was tired. I was really tired of the Christian struggle. You ever get like that? I'm tired of fighting. And I, I remember telling God, I said, God, I don't want to fight anymore. I just want to coast. I want to be a coaster Christian. I want to just go with the flow and just kind of, if the world's going that way, well, okay, let's just, you know, go ahead. I, so I, was, I was confused. <laughs> I was backslidden in my heart. I didn't want to uh, fight any longer. But the Bible tells us differently, and God, through His mercy and grace, gently instructed me. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, God has called us a fight. And whether you know Jesus Christ tonight or not, you are in a fight. You are in some struggle in contending for one thing or another. You know, when you... When you think about fighting, and as Christians, when we talk about fighting, you know, we have to first and foremost identify who the person is that we're fighting. The Bible says that it's really the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, Satan has a plan. I mean, he's very organized, and it's a threefold plan, and it's never changed. And you can pick up any paper, and it will qualify what I'm saying. He has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what he's come to do in your life. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. We are fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil because the spirit that lives within us, if you're a born-again Christian, is at odds against the spirit that is in the world. But Satan knows our weaknesses. He thinks that somehow he can work through our weaknesses to hinder our walk with the Lord. That's his tactic. He wants to hinder your walk with the Lord. And sometimes we think that and, and, and don't be under the false assumption that the, the, the devil is somebody you can negotiate with. You ever do that? 
You ever think you can kind of compromise and kind of, you know, negotiate a little bit in your life? The devil is very radical in his stand. He's very uh, aggressive. And he wants to come in and, and destroy any part of your life and relationship with Jesus Christ that he can. There's no strike in a deal. It's either black or white. It's either, you know, you're living in life in Jesus Christ or you're in the world and living in death. It's like the out of the gray said, we're out of the gray and we hope you are too. I like that. There's no gray area. And as we're entering into 1994, we realize that there's no longer any, I mean, the gray area is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I remember 20 years ago, coming to the Lord, you know, now it's, it's gotten so small now that it's really black and white. I mean, you, if you are a born-again Christian, you're an oddity in this world. You're looked upon as something that's odd. Today is the day that we as believers need to make a decision on who we're going to serve. Now, when you look at fighting, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a contentious thing. I mean, the sport of fighting. I mean, when you watch a good fight on TV, I like to watch boxing. Some people think it's a sin, but I like to watch it. And when you're watching a good fight on TV, man, I like to see two guys in there, just both of them buffed out and in shape and just slugging the mess out of each other. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's a sin not unto death. And that's the one. No, I, I, like, I like sports. And, and so when these guys are fighting, it's a good fight. Man, you say, man, that was a good fight. Why do you say that? Because both of those guys were going for it, you know? You don't want to watch a fight where there's a, this coward guy running around the ring, you know. <laughs> I mean, who would pay to go see something like that? And God has called us to fight. And we are called to be contenders for the faith in Jesus Christ. The, the term good fight in this scripture passage, in this, in this passage here, indicates an active effort to overcome. Some Christians, as I thought at one time, I could just kind of coast. No, God has called us to fight. To have an, a, 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 an active effort in overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, when you see a good fighter, you notice a couple of things about him. First and foremost, he's got to be confident. I mean, you get a guy in the ring and he's not confident, he's in a world of hurt. He has no confidence. Well, I, I think I can win. <laughs> I remember one guy was fighting uh, Mike Tyson one time. And the guy said, well, I'm just going to kind of get in there and do the best I can. <laughs> you know what happened to him. The first round. <laughs> you know. Well, I think I'll go back to my old job and just, uh, you know, interviewing him after the fight. But the thing is, is he had no confidence. And if you're going to fight and win in Jesus Christ, you have to have confidence, not in your own ability, but in the ability and what Jesus has done for you. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We're more than conquerors. He has fought the fight for us. We can just step into the victory. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, so we have to have confidence. Then you've got to hit with authority. You can't hit the devil like this. You know. <laughs> I... I just want to, I rebuke you, saint. You know, I just, you know, little light jabs. You got to hit somebody with authority. You know, one thing that changed, that was separated Jesus from the other Pharisees and Sadducees is the fact that he spoke with authority. He said, wow, this guy acts like he can get the job done. And he did. But he spoke with authority. And we have to hit with authority. You can't win a fight if you're not hitting with authority. 
You got to shift your weight into it. You got to hit that guy like you want to knock his head off. And you've got to come up against the enemy like that in your life. You can't play games with with, with the Satan and with the world. You can't play games with your flesh and think that you can compromise and strike a deal. You've got to hit it with all you've got. You've got to take it with violence. I mean, you really, in 1994, Christians are going to have to be violent about their walk with the Lord. No, I don't do that no more. No, I don't go there no more. Well, why don't you just come on? Well, okay, just... No, I have to be violent because the devil is just as violent with you. He'll walk into church. He'll split churches. He'll split marriages, Christian marriages. He'll come into your life and rip your kids off. He'll rip you off. And he doesn't care who you are. He'll walk down the aisles on Sunday morning and have a seat. You can't play games with him. We need to take this Christian life and this fight that is before us with violence and be serious about it and not allow the devil an opportunity. We have to. Because that's the only way that we can live in victory. It's the only way we can fight the good fight. Now, how do we fight this fight? It's not by, you know, being good or trusting in our own righteousness. Although those things are important. But we fight it by faith. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Not fight the good fight of feelings. Fight the good fight of uh, miracles. Fight the good fight of church attendance. <laughs> fight the good fight of faith. Why? Because John says in chapter 5 of 1 John that we overcome this world by what? By our faith. How is it that we overcome the world? By our faith. By our faith. And who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You want to overcome? You have to overcome through faith. Jesus spoke to Peter at a time when Peter was feeling pretty good about himself. And he was, and Peter didn't know, but he was getting ready to deny the Lord. And he was speaking to Peter and he said, you know, Simon, Simon, said his name twice. It always uh, uh, strikes me. Simon, Simon. He just don't know. Al, Al. <laughs> Al, you don't know. Satan has asked for you. But I have prayed for you that your feelings, no, that your faith should not fail. I have prayed for you. Jesus is praying for you that your faith would not fail. Finances might fail. People may fail you. The church may fail you. But don't let your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you fail you. I pray for you that your faith will not fail, but after you've returned to me, I want you to strengthen your brethren. How can we stand? How can we serve? How can we minister but by the grace of God and what Jesus has done for us? I'm here tonight because of Jesus Christ, not because I'm some special person. I'm here tonight because of what he's done for me. I'm standing in the good fight of faith because he has given me the strength by the victory he has achieved for me. I stand because he has given me the authority to stand. I fight the good fight fight in him. You know, the thing I think about is if, if, if Satan had, I mean, if Peter had said, well, you know, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead and was ministering to him, you remember the story, and, and he asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. He couldn't say, I agape you. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I want to love you. You know all things. And But Jesus kept saying to him, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. What was he saying? After you return to me, I want you to feed 
my lambs. You have a ministry. You have a ministry to the body to feed, to reach out to them, to, 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 to minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But just think if Peter had not have believed that God was so good and so gracious enough to forgive him and to use him, what would have happened to the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost? What is happening in your life or what could happen in your life if you would truly trust God and truly stand strong and fight the good fight of faith? There may be somebody God wants you to touch, some work he wants you to do that you've been ignoring for years and years and years. But Peter, because he believed in the mercy and the love of God and stood up on the day of Pentecost and shared the word of God, 3,000 people were saved. What work waits to be done through your life? In 1994, consider that. What we need to fight the good fight of faith and to, to overcome is a fight of faith that so we can overcome and so that we can lay hold. He goes on to say, uh, to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have con- confessed. The word there, to lay hold, indicates that we are to seize upon anything, uh, upon something with our hands. Uh, we are to lay hold to, uh, uh, is, is to imply that it's to, like to rescue someone. Like if someone you were drowning and someone threw a life preserver out there to lay hold of that thing, you wouldn't just kind of lay your hand on top of it. Now, if you're going down for the third time, you would lay hold of that thing. And that's the way we need to lay hold of eternal life and lay hold of Jesus. Lord, I just grab you with everything. I'm not reserving anything for the world anymore. I'm not holding on to the world, laying hold of that and trying to lay hold of Jesus. I'm grabbing onto you fully. I want to lay hold of eternal life. The question is, is, is you're fighting tonight and you're fighting either the good fight or you're fighting the bad fight. You're either fighting the good fight of faith and trusting Jesus Christ for your salvation because of the work he's done for you on the cross. Or you're fighting against God. That's the bad fight. As someone said, you can't outbox God. Your arms are too short. God's just standing back going, you know. But actually, actually, you know, really the Lord isn't mad with us. Jesus said, I've come not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He didn't come to put our lives down and keep us from all these good things that we like to do, maybe in the flesh, Christians. But he came to give us life and life abundantly. Life in the spirit. So if you're struggling against God tonight, you can't win. You can't win the fight against God. Let Jesus Christ love you tonight. Don't enter the new year with an old life. Enter the new year with a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you haven't been fighting a good fight, and you think you've got a little contract struck up with the devil... And you think you can kind of get away with a compromise in your life. I want you to know something. You're not. The only way to take hold and lay hold of heaven. That if we begin looking at walking with God as a classroom experience, we can easily become religious ritualists, adding rules and commandments to the grace of God. That's becoming a legalist. Uh, Did you ever wonder what made Jesus most angry? when he was here on earth? Well, we can know what it wasn't. It it wasn't the woman caught in adultery, the very act. 
because he calmly told her to go and sin no more. It wasn't the prostitute Mary Magdalene because he accepted her tears of sorrow and repentance and he even acknowledged them in a, in a memorable fashion. It wasn't even what some would call the greedy rich young ruler that made Jesus angry because he offered him a place on his team. No, it was the most religious people on the horizon that day that angered Jesus to the point of nausea. Those who zealously kept the letter of the law but had lost the heart, the grace, the love of a relationship with God, who had made it into literally a business. So don't you find it odd that your average evangelical Christian who goes ballistic about pornography, goes crazy about promiscuity, is strangely tolerant of legalism in the church because it has religious overtones and yet it angers the heart of God to no end. Don't get me wrong. These other things are wicked evils. We know that. But legalism is deadly and it's violently condemned by Jesus himself. Don't tolerate it in yourself. Don't be subjected to it by others. God wants you to have freedom. It seems then that we have a choice between, as Tozer said, the rut and the renewal. Because our God is unpredictable, our God is never stagnant, and our God is actively involved in our lives. By its very nature, folks, to be led of God means to surrender our own agenda. The right to dictate our own plans, that's painful, it's difficult, we don't want to give up our hand on the wheel. But the most powerful and singularly important thing God has ever done on earth since the creation was foolishness to the human mind. And that was the cross of Jesus Christ. So God's plan for your life may likewise sound foolish. His stirring up of you, his changing of your life, his pouring you from vessel to vessel, him wanting to, to disrupt your plan so carefully and even prayerfully made, it may sound like foolishness. But remember, the wisdom of God is foolishness with man. So in our own mind, in our own flesh, without the leading of the Holy Spirit and the absolute submission of our life in prayer, we can be walking down a road powered by the arm of the flesh. God's love for you as the apple of his eye is utterly practical. And since his ways aren't our ways, expect conflicts, insert the word trials. Then, again, falling in your life is not failure. Just because you've had some slips, just because you've stumbled along the path, God's there hovering around you like that mother eagle, wanting to let you know of his tender compassion. He has not given up on you no matter how far you've fallen. You can come back today. There's one supreme tragedy, I think, of human life, and it's that man thinks so little of himself when God thinks so highly of his creation. He loves you wherever you're at today. His love doesn't demand that you come up to him. The message of the gospel is that God came down to man. He's not waiting for you to get good, to be religious, to be right. He reaches down to us. That's the beauty of the gospel story. The obvious question that I think remains, where are you today? In review, you can be in a number of places, according to our passage. You can be in the howling wilderness still, coming into this assembly of believers as a spectator, 
maybe thinking you've been religious, maybe thinking but not knowing truly our Savior. In that case, God is on a search and rescue mission for your life today. He wants to pull you out of that howling wilderness and bring you into a place of peace and safety. Perhaps you're asleep in the nest today, comfortable in your cozy position in the church. In a church of this size, it's easy to find a corner of the nest and get cozy. Nothing wrong with that for a while, a place to grow, a place to, to mature and become strengthened and prepared for your place of service. But perhaps it's time for God to stir up your life to get you busy, and maybe you've become stagnant, and you realize today you are in a rut, and God wants to pour you into a different vessel that may have a number of different intensely personal applications in your particular life. I wouldn't presume to know what it means, but I do know God is in the business of disturbing his saints and moving them on down the road. Maybe you're just enjoying the green pastures, just kind of at a place of rest and peace and sitting by the still waters, and that is just terrific. Enjoy those times. They don't last forever. Don't try to make them. Or maybe you're trying out your wings, and you realize you're called into church leadership at one level or another. God bless you. Maybe you're falling. Maybe you're stumbling. Maybe you're having some stuttering times, but know that God has given gifted men and women to the body of Christ that we all might grow up into the fullness and the richness of his son. That's your purpose. Find your place in the body and fulfill it with all your heart. The Bible says whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Love him with your heart. Love him with your mind. Give him every single ounce of your energy, and he will reward you diligently. He is a rewarder of those that seek and serve him. Know this. You have a God that loves you more than you can even imagine. Out of that concern, folks, he will do whatever it takes to get and to keep your attention. You literally are a royal child. Don't, don't go clucking around the barnyard like some crazy chicken, poking around in the dust. You are meant to be an eagle. That's not just some poetical illustration today. You are the very, the Bible says, crown of creation, a partaker of the divine nature, the apple of God's very eye, designed, the Bible says, for the heavenlies. When we are meant for so much, why should we settle for so little? Let me close with a scripture from Isaiah The Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run. They shall not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, today we thank you for this word. I pray it would be an encouragement and an incitement to each of our lives. That God, if we need to be stirred up, if, if we need to be comforted, that your spirit would come individually and tenderly to our hearts right now. And speak that word and do that divine work that is beyond our understanding. And God, I pray for that person who might be living in that wilderness state of not knowing their true spiritual condition. Not knowing the peace that passes all understanding of having our sins forgiven, having been made a new creature in Jesus Christ. I pray that person today would come to you, would surrender, and would accept your love. Lord, what a, what a glorious inheritance we have of being the saints in light. 
and knowing, Lord, that you are our leader, our great shepherd, our provider. And we thank you and we, we give you all the grace and glory.